my heart is full this morning. Greg sang a song. He says, hope of a life spent with you. Did you catch that? Lynn and I are missionaries in Rwanda. The question you have is what? What is your question? What do you do? Right? That's the question. What do you do? Why do you go, what do you do? It's always the question. We're focused on what do you do. We sang the song, Hope of a Life Spent With You. It's together. Whatever we do, it doesn't much matter. We're together. We're together. That's the point. So, this morning, if you want a sermon title, it's called The Cry of the Father's Heart. I asked the guys to put a verse up on the screen here. I think it's going to come. Yeah, he's nodding his head. There it is. Look at that. We had prepared this as well, right? I went and talked to him at the break and asked him to put it up. (laughs) The Cry of the Father's Heart. From John 1, 17 to 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, okay, there's a different version that says grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The New American Standard says that grace grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to use that word realized. Um... We're talking about the Father's heart today, and mostly we don't get it. I'm going to pray in a second. I just want to sit here for a minute first. God wants to have a relationship with us. We sang this morning. Greg kept using this one word about Father. Father, thank you. Father, Father, Father. He wants to be with us. We keep asking, what are we going to do? He says, it doesn't matter. We're just going to be together. Whatever we do, we're going to do it together. So I used to sell cars. What does a car salesman do? Sell cars. What does an usher do? The ush. <laughs> what does a farmer do? They farm. What does a pastor do? They pastor. What does a missionary do? They mission. Everything is about function, function, function. Which is fine. What do we invest in? Lynn always says, I don't like borrowing money or spending inheritance on a depreciable asset. A car depreciates. A house appreciates. Where do we spend our money? Where do we spend our time? We can invest in things. We can invest time, money, energy that will be with us for, forever. For an eternity. There's things here that are going to continue in eternity. And that's relationship. Relationship with our Heavenly Father and relationship with each other. We'll see each other. We'll know each other. We'll know each other in ways we never knew each other here. But we'll be together forever. Everything else is going to stay here. Father, I thank you that you love it when we call you Father. I thank you that you've given us your word. I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, now this morning, we need you to anoint these lips, to anoint our hearts. We want to hear from you. We want to see you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Last week, Darian did an amazing job. Did you all hear that? Do you know why it was amazing? Because he owned the message. He was giving a testimony 
of the work that God had been doing in him and through him. When Jesus preached, and people says, this is amazing. You speak, Jesus, you speak as one with authority. How do you get authority? You have to own the message. If I'm going to talk to you about dieting and working out and running a marathon and give you instructions on how to do it, are you paying attention? Why are you all laughing at me? (laughs) Because you say, he does not have authority to speak on that subject. Does not. And you're right. If I want to talk to you about fishing, I can say some things. But Dave Winichuk is sitting over here, and he would know whether or not what I'm saying is true. He can speak about fishing with authority. He knows fishing. And he can get up and teach us all kinds of stuff about fishing. When I get into the boat with him, I can say to Dave, Dave, I'm going to do this. And he can say, well, you can go ahead, but uh, why don't you listen to the guy who has authority and do what he tells you to do and then see what happens. You see, what do we have authority to speak on? John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Uh, three weeks ago, I was preaching in Rwanda, and John Paul was translating. It was just so wonderful to work with him again. John Paul, he's our son. Ours, as in Calvary Chapel's son. And he's been with us here, and he's our son, and he's in Rwanda. And so he was beside me translating, and I said, the Old Testament is about God's grace. And he, as a translator, he looks to me and says, come again? <laughs> because he thought he misheard me. And I, and I just laughed, and I said, Jean-Paul, this couldn't have been better if we'd practiced it and teed it up. I said, the Old Testament is about God's grace. And he says, sure. I says, yeah. You see, he was demonstrating his thinking, which was the Old Testament is not about God's grace. But the New Testament is about God's grace. You see, the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. And the only reason we think it's not about grace because we don't know who he is and we don't understand him. Why couldn't Moses enter the promised land? How many times have I thought that, said that, heard people say that? You know, God was so mean. Oh, he made that one mistake. He hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And just for that, God didn't let him enter the promised land. That's the God of the Old Testament. Well, guess what? I think by the end of Moses' life, Moses didn't care if he entered the promised land. He's on the mountain with God, perfectly healthy, and God says, there's the promised land we're going to enter. And I envision it this way. Moses looks to God and says, sure? (laughs) Sure? Because you said I wasn't going to enter. And then I'd imagine Moses would say to God, okay, what about me? And God says to Moses, don't worry about it. You're going to be with me. You're coming home with me. And Moses says, hallelujah. Don't need to enter that Canaan. I want to be with you. I'm with you. Abram and Sarah entered the promised land. They look around and says, this is not it. Thought you said this is a promised land. This, this ain't it. We're not there yet. God is a God of grace and mercy. Adam and Eve sinned. God says, I'll provide for you. I'll cover Abraham, he called him his son. Why are the children of Israel so special? Scripture tells us, you're not special because you're better or bigger or anything else. You're special because I love you. Are you special? God loves us. That's what makes us special. Nothing else. Nothing else. And we misunderstand and we look at the God of the Old Testament and we apply things to him and, t- and assign things to him that are just not true. Not true. We don't understand each other. So in John 1.17, he says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is, the bo- is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained him. Now that word realized means this. It means that has become fully aware or have something desired or anticipated have it happen. 
So what the scripture is saying is that grace and truth were realized. We became fully aware of the grace and truth that God the Father had planned for us throughout the Old Testament and the prophets, all that. We became fully aware of it when we saw Jesus. We go, ah, that's what you meant. That's what you meant. And something desired or anticipated happened. We have broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. We've lost our way. We want to make it right. Somehow we're trying to make it right. And we can't make it right. And in Jesus Christ, we understand the love and grace of the Father. And in Jesus Christ, that we're made one. We're at peace. Realized in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Now... I'm going to give you different stories and testimonies to illustrate how this has impacted my personal life. It's my testimony. You have your testimony. So we were worshiping and I was flailing my arms and swinging and jumping and running. It was wonderful. Sometimes you may be wondering, why is that guy that way? It's a little bit overboard, you know. Do you know why I'm that way? Because there was a time when I was told, you sit on your hands. Just a little aside for the children's ministry. Did you know that when a child before the age of 14 comes to Christ, or somebody after 14 comes to Christ, when they're 70 years old, 33% of one group is still walking with Christ and 3% of another group is still walking with Christ. Which group is the 33%? Hmm? You're wrong. Pre-14. Do you understand the impact when Susan gets up and says, we need help with the children's ministry. Do you understand what she's saying? When we're in Rwanda, and 60% of the nation is youth, and they have no strategy for the youth. Ah. we got to think how God thinks. Okay, so as a child, I was told, sit on your hands. Sunday school, church, sit on your hands. My brother and I learned to play instruments. and I would play the guitar and he would play the saxophone. We could play some good music. It was 70s music, or 60s music, because it was the 60s, you know? (laughs) And what would happen is some of the elders would sit there this way when we're playing. So the elders called us in for a meeting and said, you know something, you guys, uh, you can't play anymore. We said, why? What's the deal? He says, you're causing us to sin. When you play, we can't sit still. So there must be spirits involved in your music. It's demonic. My brother said goodbye and never came back. A hypocrite is someone who teaches the precepts of man and calls them doctrine. Jesus' words. I have a grandmother who grew up in a Zumberfelder church, walked in two different doors, wearing the, the thing and the long dresses. And her last 10 years, she became the soft, mellow, sweet person. This is what happened. She says, I came to understand my job is to love you and to pray for you not to try and get you to live right. It's not my issue. We have people in that those churches and those environments who love the Lord and they're filled with the Spirit. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And my grandma was one of them. So I'm not condemning anybody in a certain denomination or way of worshiping. Just so you know. 
But when we were in bondage and I was in bondage and I couldn't worship and I had so many issues and struggles and so much pain inside of me. And the Lord kept coming to where I was sitting in my pigsty and sitting with me. And then invited me. And we went to the University of Manitoba and they had Saturday Night Live in the University of Manitoba. I don't know if anybody ever went to those things or not. Anybody here? And for an offertory, they had a guy wailing on the guitar. Whoo, could he play the guitar? And I thought, wow, he should sit on his hands. <laughs> and I felt the Holy Spirit say, why don't, you, why don't you worship me? You're free to worship me. And I could not lift my hands. Couldn't. And I'll never forget it. We're sitting there and I says, Okay, Lord, I just need you so desperately. So my hands were like this on my lap and I turned my hands over. That's all I did. Laying on my lap and the Holy Spirit came and touched me. Boom! I said, I want more of that. I stood up, raised my hands. It took some time. I'm free. You don't have to dance. You don't have to raise your hands. My question is, are you free? What binds you? I have one point. The point is that the Father loves us. That's the point of the sermon. I'm going to say it many different ways. Father loves us. Have we realized God's grace? Have we realized God's grace and mercy? Do we understand it and do we own it as ours? That's the question. I'm not, I was not a blessing to our leaders when I was a teenager. I, I, I know that. <laughs> I would forever challenge them saying, why, why are we doing this? You know, I don't see this here. This business of baptism, you need to be sprinkled or poured. And I go, what did they do in the Bible? They immersed. I said, why don't we immerse? Do it this way, okay? Tradition. What holds us back? We got to Rwanda and... Uh, the church we work with, there's a Swedish Pentecostals. And we're there, and I say, Hi, I know you guys. I grew up with you guys. The long dress, no makeup, no jewelry. Women sit this way, dress this way, do this, or you can't take communion. Men behave this way, do this. Did you know that in Rwanda, it was sin to play sport? Sport was sin. I, I grew up with that. I know that. I've seen that face before. Rwanda, a nation where 60% are youth and they're not so about soccer, and the church says football is, in any sport is sin. And the young people are saying, wow, I'm good at sport. I'm really, really good at it. I love to play foot, sport. Why, why can't I play sport? Well, I have to choose. Am I going to play sport or am I going to pursue Christ? teaching the precepts of man as doctrine and we place people into greater bondage than they'd ever been before. So here's Lynn and I, we're in Steinbeck years ago and the Holy Spirit prompted me to say you need to start training in leadership. And I says, what am I going to do? And he, the Lord asked me the question, who's in front of you? Start with the guy in front of you. Train him. So Andrew Micklefield, as you know, 11 years. And Andrew and I have zero overlap in personality or spiritual gifting. There is no overlapping. So we have maximum opportunity for conflict. Because we see the world completely differently. 
And I was a gift to him and he was a gift to me. Because we looked at each other and we said, if God can bring us to unity, that is a work of the Spirit. And that's what he wants to do. And he did. They were over at our place a few weeks ago. We spent a couple hours with them. It was great. They're still our friends. People always ask us, what do we do? For a long time, Lynn, they asked Lynn, what do you do in Rwanda? What do you do? And she would say to me, Dave, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I know what you do. You teach and preach. You train leaders. But what, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And for so long, the focus has been on tra- training the leaders, and etc., etc. But see, the Lord has made a correction in my mind. And I've started to understand it. And one of the things became crystal clear last week sitting here when Darian was preaching. I haven't met with Darian for some time, one-on-one. He meets with, I don't know, Matt, who's meet with you, or Greg, or Tony? Rob, meets with Rob. Used to be when you came to church here, I would greet you at the door. I would get up, turn on the, the sound system. I would take the guitar, lead in worship. Then I would pray. Then I would sing some more songs to the guitar. Then I put the guy down the guitar. Then I'd preach. Marianne, you remember this? Jake and Marianne? Then I would preach. And then I'd pray. And then I'd go out and greet everybody as I walked out the door, turn out the lights, and go back home. I would do, Lynn and I would do everything. She made the coffee. She, we would do everything. Now, most of you didn't even know I played the guitar. And when Nick picks up the guitar, I don't even want to let you know I ever played the guitar. <laughs> See, but the good news is, I've always wanted to play like that, and God says, Dave, I give you the gift of playing like that, and I put it into Nick. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm happy with that. If I want to preach, you've got to plan it months ahead of time. Rob, gifted, gifted teacher, preacher. Darian is coming in. Matt, becoming mature as a teacher, preacher. We have others in the wings coming up. Greg. Ooh, 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 ooh. It's incredible. Leading in worship. I should be a worship leader. Well, Greg leads a team. Lisa leads a team. Corinne leads a team. Take a number. How many team leaders do we need? Not me. I can sit. And last Sunday, we sat. Lead. Okay, then I would lead the service. I don't need to lead the service. Matt, Darian, Jeremy, Greg, Tony. Do you understand me? And so sometimes we wonder, okay, what's our purpose here then? Like, why are we here? And I asked the question here at a family forum one time, and one of you people stood up and looked at me. I remember who it was, but I won't mention her name right now. And says, your mom and dad. Mom and dad don't ask what are we supposed to do. Mom and dad just are. Am I right? So let me continue about our journey. We're in Rwanda, and I'm preaching, and outside the door, I see kids playing on the football pitch on a Sunday morning, running around making noise. Church is half empty. I brought my camera with me, and the Holy Spirit asked me, why did you bring your camera? So I stood up, stood up and took a video, walking outside, took a video of the kids, came back in, and I asked the pastor, I says, what do you think of that? Football pitch right outside the door. He says, what's the real problem? Kids out there, especially on a Sunday, they should be in here worshiping. It's a problem. They make noise. Sometimes we have to chase them away. Sometimes we have to chase them away. So I said to him, and by God's grace, we've got influence with the national leaders, and we challenged them with this issue about the youth. And we said to the pastors, we know the problem, we see the problem. The problem is you, the pastors. You see, all my years of being raised and being told, sit on your hands. Don't do sport. Don't do music. 
do it this way, do it this way. All those years boiled up inside of me. And I said to the pastors, you're the problem. Not the youth. There's a reason I'm holding my glove. You'll understand in a few minutes. I like it. So they called the National Assembly and declared football is not sin anymore. Hmm, simple. And they declared girls could play football wearing shorts. Hmm. I'm going to tie in that football story more because it illustrates a way that God has called us to do life together, which is different from how it's been. Church is not about coming here and sitting here and going home. It's about being together. And we are together with each other. Lynn and I hadn't been married that long, but we already had two sons. I was working full-time. I was working two part-time jobs on the side. Lynn was working full-time. And we had two sons. And for some reason, our home was a chaos can't figure why. Working full-time, working two part-time jobs, Lynn working full-time. Oh, and we went to church, too. We went to church. I would teach guitar for a living. We did that for 12 years. And a student came in and asked me to teach him how to play a song by Harry Chapin. And the song was called Cats in the Cradle. So I got the song and I taught him the song and the Holy Spirit gripped me. I just looked up and I saw a video of his son. Harry Chapin got killed in a car crash when he was 38. He's not around. But his son, who's now a young adult, was interviewed and he said, I can't tell... He says, he looks just like his dad. He says, I can't tell you how often people see me and they recognize my dad in me and they come up and put their arm around me. He says, and then their voice starts to quiver, and their lip quivers, and they tell me of the impact the song has had on them. It's crazy. And as I taught this song to my student, I saw my problem. It goes this way. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there are planes to catch and bills to to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then. Son. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, Not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, That's okay. And he has walked away. The smile never dimmed says, I'm going to be like him. Yeah. You know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then.
Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when. Did you get that? When you're coming home, son, I don't know when. But we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you. If you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. See, my new job's a hassle and the kids got the flu. It's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. When you're coming home, son. I could not sing that song and stay the same person. I changed over the years. Our sons love us, truly love to be with us. We went to Regina to see our grandkids play baseball. My son noticed I brought my ball and glove, but it was in the trunk. And he says to his kids, see that grandpa brought his ball. He wants to play catch with you. Then a week or two later, they came to be with us. My son comes into the house and he says, Dad, I brought my glove. Why don't we play catch? doesn't have to be that way. doesn't have to be that way. God asked us to go to Rwanda. I asked him the question, what are we going to do? Lynn asked, what are we going to do? And my father says, you keep asking the same question. I want you to be together there in that country. So why did we go to Rwanda two weeks ago? What was so special that we had to go? What did we have to do that it cost almost $5,000 to fly there and back. What did we do that was so special? Well, typically in missions, we go and do things, and the people locally sit and watch us do it. And we say, we'll teach you how to do this. You watch us do it, and that's how you do it. And I have seen so many places. A teacher came in and taught school in an elementary school, set up all the books and everything. This is how you do it. And the teacher would teach. Then she went back home, says, now that you follow through. She came back six months later, says, how's it going? And the teachers were doing exactly what they used to do and were ignoring all the material she had. You see, because that material was for her to do. The locals didn't do it that way. They did it a different way. We think... We teach by telling people to watch us, and it doesn't work. 
We think we will teach people what to do by telling them what to do, by yelling at them. That worked for us and our kids really good. I remember. Or my parents yelling at me, why don't you quit smoking? How often did they ask the question? I said, how often have you asked that question, Mom? A thousand times, maybe? Do you think a thousand and one is the magical question? Ah! How we do life needs to be different when God is in us. We need to understand that. So we go to Rwanda, and forever they ask us to do stuff. For the first two years, the leaders, top leaders, and the pastors would say, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? So why do you keep asking us this question? It was because missionaries tell us what to do, and then we do it. I said, that's a dumb reason to do something. Because somebody tells you to do it. You need to examine the scriptures. In 1994... 90% of Rwanda was Christian. They went to church in the morning, and they took communion, and they went home, and they picked up their machetes and their clubs, and they went and butchered their neighbors. Because they were told to do it. By government authorities and by church leaders told to do it. It's a dumb reason to do anything, isn't it? Paul says the Bereans examined the scriptures to see if this was really God's word. If you don't teach that, then you miss it completely. Jean Paul's in Canada. He wants to be here. The Holy Spirit speaks to him, him and us together. God says, I want to use you guys in Africa together. Lynn saw the vision at the same time. I'd never been, and he was here as a refugee claimant. God has plans. He goes back to Rwanda. We meet John Ortlip from Ambassadors Football. That's soccer. John Paul gets trained in the U.S. on how to do this, how to use football to reach kids. Comes back. The church declares, we have heard from the Lord, football isn't sin anymore. Hallelujah. John Paul says, Dave, I need money. I need goals. I need balls. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. I said, Jean-Paul, you don't need anything. You just need to do it. So many of us are waiting for something from somebody, someplace. We just need to do it. Jean-Paul takes a ball, takes Hidwa, Hebert, who they named after Dave and Edith. He's how old now? Eight? Seven? Four. Takes his son four and his daughter who's ten, and they go to the football pitch, and all of a sudden they got twenty kids. He's I'll be here next week. Next week they got seventy kids. Then they have 120 kids. I says, Jean Paul, who are you training? Who is the one in front of you? And all of a sudden he gets it. And he begins to train one guy in front of him. It's insane what happens. He says, I need money, I need support, I need people to come. I said, you don't need anything. You just need to do it. So he begins. Most of the kids have never been in church. On the very pitch where I took the video, never been in church. Hundred of those kids, hundred of the kids are dropped out of school, not in school. They go on the pitch and they teach Bible verses. They teach a skill, it's okay, now we sit down and we're going to memorize a Bible verse. They teach another skill. Now we're going to memorize another Bible verse. And they learn crazy amounts of Bible verses. Church on the pitch. Crazy, isn't it? Fast forward. Within one year, it's now in 25 communities. We have trained 75 Rwandan coach missionaries. We have 2,500 children on the pitch every week learning Bible verses. Two thousand five hundred learning Bible verses. John Paul's home village, 
Those kids that are dropped out of school, the rule is if you want to play on the pitch, you have to be in school. If you want to play in the pitch, you have to learn your Bible verses. don't have to be a Christian, but you have to learn the verses. And you have to be a good child at home. Well, they want to be on the pitch playing. So some help comes, not swack loads of it. 25 communities in five provinces throughout the nation. Now there's a national tournament in August where there's a champion team chosen from each province has to come to Kigali City for the national championship. Insanely amazing. Why do we have to go? People ask us. What do you do? Do you do football? No. Two months before the national championship, John Paul says to me, Dave, we don't have any money. We have no place for the 150 kids plus support staff. That's 200 people. We have no place for them to stay, no pitch for them to play on. We do not have food. We do not have transport. What do I do? Help me, help me, help me. I didn't ask any of you guys for money. I said, that's okay. We'll pray. So we pray. And he keeps praying. Then because of economic restraints, his vehicle is removed from him and his travel allowance. And he says, Dave, what am I going to do? How can I do this? I said, ah, John Paul. This is no news. Why are you complaining? Mr. Compassionate. <laughs> the children of Israel made bricks and then they, they said no more straw, but you've got to keep making the same number of bricks. Just be faithful to do what you do and trust the Lord. Walk with the Lord. You're on mission with the Lord. He has a plan. So somehow he manages to keep going. Six weeks before these 200 kids arrive in Rwanda, Youth for Christ Rwanda says, we have a dormitory, a football pitch, and a kitchen you can use for free. Hallelujah. No money from the West. Mm -mm -mm. Rwandans, working with Rwandans, doing it together. Hallelujah. I'm doing the happy dance. And John Paul says, I still haven't got food for these kids. I have transport and pitch to play on. We keep praying. The local phone company, that's national, they, Jean-Paul and the church leaders meet with him and they say, okay, we'll give you 3,500 U.S. dollars to pay for the food. Ah. Water bottling company says, we'll give you 1,000 liters of waters for the kids. We're there at the national event and the FIFA leader from Rwanda is there with us. And he says, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I says, what do you see? He says, the skill and ability of these kids is way beyond their years. I says, what else do you see? I kept asking, what do you see? What do you see? I says, you're still not seeing what I want you to see. I says, what you're seeing is Rwandans. This program is run by Rwandans, organized by Rwandans, put on by Rwandans, trained by Rwandans, and sponsored by Rwandans. You don't need anybody from outside. You see what happens now? Next year, we're going to train 75 more coaches. And Lynn says, 75? John Paul, aren't you shooting a bit high? And John Paul says, no, I have to limit it to 75. <laughs> we got hundreds that want in. We've got to limit it to 75. We're going to be in 50 communities. We'll have more than 5,000 kids on the pitch learning Bible verses. The government, the school, everybody says this is insanely wonderful. Why did we have to go? We're sitting with the executive on the... Sitting with John Ortlip, the football guy, on the side of the pitch. And he's fighting back the tears. And he says, I've been, I grew up in the mission field of Haiti. I've been doing missions for 35 years and this football thing for 25 years. And he says, never before in my life have I seen anything like this. Anything like what? And he's fighting back the tears. He says, we have a whole nation given to us. All the youth of this nation are given to us. And he says, now I understand why we started with the football 25 years ago. Today in Rwanda, now I understand. It's insane. Then we meet with the national executive. 
And the national executive says to us, when things go good, everybody wants to come to be with us. And he says, now we've got a lot of people who want to be with us. Missionaries from everywhere, they want to be here with us. Because things are going well. But the last six years, that church has been in chaos. Four or five different leadership teams in six years. And all the missionaries left them. And the leaders look at us and say, except you guys. You're with us in the tough times. You are truly our friend. It's about being together. There's a young couple from the Elmwood MB that were there for a week of missions. They'd been three weeks in India. And they were there for a week of mission. And he loves soccer. And he's on the pitch playing and doing. And every time he wants to take over the team and tell them what to do, our Kenya friends came along and says, Randy, Randy, stop it, stop it. So what do you mean? He says, I'm helping to teach them. He says, that's not your job. He says, I'm the missionary here to help them to learn. He says, no, 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 no. You're forgetting. It's not your job. Your job is to help them do it. Because next week you'll be home. And they won't be doing it because they're not doing it now. You move back a step and encourage them to do it. We sat with them in the stands, just a young couple, married three years. And he says, all our fuses are blown in our brains. And he says, why is that? Because they're always thinking missionaries about doing over there, doing, 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 doing. And now we're told don't do anything. So, ah, you're missing a point. You're encouraging them to do it. And then you go home and it keeps going and growing and going and growing. So the question have you realized God's grace and truth in your life? The relationships you have with people around you are they saturated with the love of God? Or is it about doing, getting, whatever? My dad used to own a fishing boat. Wouldn't take me fishing. Our kids played baseball just a few blocks from where my mom and dad lived. He wouldn't come watch them play ball. What did I want from my dad? Hmm? My kids would say, why doesn't grandpa take us fishing? I've forgiven him. I bless him. There's a lot of things he tried to do. And I'm free. Who are you? Does love motivate you? Are you with God? Is God with you? Or are you trying to wrestle something from him? Wrestle some favor, some honor. God says, I love you. I love you. There's nothing you can do to make you, me love you more and nothing you can do to make me love you less. I love you. And you say, but I'm stuck in my sin. And the Father says, I see that, I know that, I love you. I love you. Don't have to stay stuck there. Just so you know, he says, you don't have to stay there. I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. And the enemy does not want us to hear that. And the Father says, I love you. And we said to those pastors... The Father loves us so much. And throughout the Old Testament, we haven't understood that the Father loves us. So Jesus came to this earth to say, let me tell you about the Father's love. Let me tell you about the Father's love. Let me show you the Father's love. That's what Jesus did. Then he gave us his Holy Spirit into us. We said to the pastors, Jesus left heaven to come to earth. 
to show us and tell us of the Father's love. Lynn and I leave Canada. We come to Rwanda to show you and tell you about the Father's love. That's why we're here. We said, surely you can walk across the football pitch and show those kids the love of the Father. I'm not saying God is asking you to go to Africa or China or Japan or anywhere. But you have somebody on your football pitch. You have somebody out your front door or maybe under your roof that is aching, aching for the love of the Father. Maybe they're in a mess. And you keep talking about the mess. They know they're in a mess. They don't need to be reminded. They want the love of the Father. Maybe your father didn't love you and bless you. He said, oh, if only that could change. I can tell you, when you learn to bless and honor your father, it'll change for you. He doesn't have to change. You have to change. So maybe you have somebody. Every one of us knows who we have or don't have. Greg's going to go up onto the mic to the music thing there. The Father searches for us, finds us, sits with us, and then together takes us to another place. Wherever we are, why would we hide? He knows where we are. He sees where we are. If we would just admit it, and he sees the hurt people around us. Let's just, let's love them. And the Holy Spirit will teach us how. If we just purpose in our hearts to love him. Father, I thank you for your love, for your word, for your spirit. Father, I thank you for Lynn's dad who would challenge me about love. Thank you for never giving up on me. Never. I thank you for the hope that is in you. I thank you that you've asked us to share this love you have, that Jesus came and shared. He says, I want you to love. The world needs love. This is your heart. So however you want us to respond, Holy Spirit, don't let the enemy snatch this word. Help us. Thank you, Lord.